people don't leave dead trees in their gardens. They have them removed unless they're going to fall on the neighbor's house, in which case they might leave them. But generally... <laughs> Hi, I'm Melanie Walker, and this is Grounded. If gardening is your passion, this is the place to be to find out about what's happening in the gardening world. And welcome to another edition of Grounded. Yes, the place that you can find out about not just plants and all things beautiful that grow in the ground, but also everything else that goes on around it too. So we're talking about all those little bugs and all the beasties and wildlife that might come and visit your garden and all the things that you don't want visiting your garden as well and how to get rid of them um, sometimes. You know, people are saying we don't want to have pesticides in our gardens, so we don't going to use these things. I think everybody's becoming a lot more ecologically friendly and ecologically and environmentally aware. So it's a good thing to have somebody who knows what they're talking about when it comes to not only bringing the good things into your garden, but also for getting rid of the bad things without going and using poisons. So to talk to me today about things that go woo and woo in the night, <laughs> we've got Jonathan Hall. Now, what is the company that you, you've set up these days? Uh, Eco Solutions. Eco Solutions. So, yeah. I mean, that's not just about um, getting rid of the bad things, which is people would think about also bringing in the good things. Basically, Eco Solutions has been around now for almost 18 years. Mm -hmm. And its purpose was to look, originally was to try and solve uh, what we call pest problems mm. without poison. So we're a poison-free pest control company, basically. We don't use any poison. But we also do a lot of um, agricultural projects, bats, controlling insects over crops, mm -hmm. coddling moth, things like that. So essentially that's what we are. We're a poison-free pest control company. So we're always looking for alternatives to poison. Okay, so has there been a huge demand for that now um, from people living in suburbia as opposed to the agricultural thing? Because, I mean, in the good old days, people would just go in somewhere and go and get, oh, I'm going to get some of that rat poison. I'm going to go and get some of these pesticides and get rid of all the bugs in the garden and everything. So we had like a, a sterilized kind of environment that we were living in. Has there been a huge change in those 18 years for you? Definitely. Definitely. People are more aware. Um, they're looking for alternatives. Alternatives mm. are not always easy to find. And because it's a kind of a new, well, not 18 years, but it's, it's still a new industry. I mean, we're the only non, non toxic pest control company in the country. Mm. So it's evolving, but some of that evolution is poison's cheap. You know, all the other stuff is, is not as cheap. Mm. So there's still this concept of you just go into a shop and pick up a box of, rat poison and throw it in the roof and you solve your rat problem but what we've seen i mean we've been doing that for the 50 years mm. and that hasn't worked we still have rats we still have rat problems no matter how much poison we we use mm. so it's but there definitely is a sort of upswell of more i mean the whole world is is moving in that direction and more and more people are aware of and, and want to control pests without poison Oh, I must say that my, my best way of getting rid of rats has been having cats. <laughs> so there's no more throwing poison into the roof in case one of those rats comes down and then the cat eats it and then you've got a very sick pussy cat. Um, you always put your cat in the roof. My, my cats managed to get up there on their own, which is yeah. quite interesting. But it's, it's also an interesting fact that only about 11% of cats are actually ratters. The cats are, a, a you know, for a biologist or zoologist, cats pose a real problem. I mean, they're responsible for lots of bat mortality mm. in urban environments, lots of insects, lots of geckos. And 
they're predators. I mean, they're wonderful things, cats, but they're they're, they're a very well developed predator. Mm. So they catch whatever whatever moves in front of them, basically. And I mean, they, they do catch rats. Uh, how effective they are in in really controlling a rodent population in a city? I mean, lots of people have cats. Mm. We have lots of rats. So by definition, they're not as effective as we might think. Well, I mean, there, there must be better ways, obviously, because I must be honest that coming out to a half-chewed animal on my, That's a gift. <laughs> my car, That's I know a it's gift a gift they bring me. Cat. I came home one night and they'd caught a bat and I like, managed to get the bat away and actually kind of freed it. Um, I was like really upset about the fact that this little bat was like really just didn't want to get out of my hand at one stage because it was so distraught about being caught by a cat of all things and, and birds that have had just their heads eaten off, you know, I mean, the, it's lovely presence to They're have. Very difficult to rehabilitate birds that have had their heads eaten no you can't do that i I know that we've also had before we had cats we had um my children with uh rock pigeons baby Mm. rock pigeons that had fallen out from underneath the eaves and you know where do we take these things to what can we do with them how do we look after they were convinced it was a baby hardy doll it was so ugly Mm. but they they wanted to keep it in hand rear it for the rest of their lives so i mean i suppose you could do that but people you know pigeons have become like flying rats as well pigeons are um all over the world, they're a problem. Mm. There's different techniques in Hong Kong, places like that. They've got these big helium balloons with eyes that move to try and keep pigeons off buildings. Oh, really? In the UK, they're using falconers, running around with falcons, trying to control pigeons. But, I mean, there's a there's an expression, I think, from the 1500s, which is, uh, it's in Italian, mm. but it's pigeons and priests make foul houses. I don't quite know what that means, but that, that's a very old expression. So pigeons have been a problem for a long time. Mm. In fact, the only city that ever had a, a pigeon resolution was um, Berlin after the war because mm. people were eating them. Yeah. But that's a drastic step to have a war to get rid of your pigeon problem. One doesn't want to have a war. And I mean, people will get themselves up in arms about the fact that people are going out and shooting pigeons as well. But I know that, um, I mean, for instance, over towards the east of Gauteng, past Benoni, where the sorghum fields are, rock pigeons have become a huge, huge problem. Absolutely. <clears throat> so the hunters will actually go out there and get their eyes in. And the people in the area encourage them, encourage them to Definitely. do it because they get to eat the pigeons. You know, I mean, those kind of things are, that's agricultural pests and that's Mm. what you're going to have. And obviously there's ways of doing it. There's creating, putting perches up for raptors. Falcons will come in and catch those pigeons. All of those things follow on. But in urban environments, there's so much you can do in terms of design. Mm. And that's really, I reckon, 100 years from now, you're going to see different cities that are actually designing houses and buildings to Exclude rats. Well, they've been doing that down in uh, Port Elizabeth at the one stadium there, that they, they were encouraging raptors to come and stay yeah. there to get rid of the rats. I mean, raptors will. But, you know, if you just look at office parks mm. and they have problems with pigeons on their ledges, and then you look at those ledges, they're perfect for pigeons. Mm. Architects could design ledges that were anti-pigeon or not pigeon-friendly just mm. by creating a 45-degree angle. So they can't roost on there. They can't walk on it. They can't mm. roost on it. And, and I think... Houses as well are moving in that direction. I mean, this is what we fundamentally recommend is to have a look at where your rodent problem is coming from and see if you can't exclude those rats. And it's a lot easier than people think. You know, there's this idea out there that a rat can climb anything, scale anything, get in anywhere. But actually they can't. And by some simple fixes, sort of environmental design fixes, 
you can reduce your rodent population, if not exclude rats altogether. I've been, I've seen them running along telegraph, uh, telephone lines and things. Yeah. Well, we get, we have a, a, um, it's a sort of disc that fits mm-hmm. on a telephone line and spins and it prevents rats from running along, along telephone lines. And that's so simple. It's a simple thing. It's an easy fix mm-hmm. and you won't have rats on telephone lines. So once you've cut off that corridor, you know, the harder it is for them to access food and places to breed, the biggest reduction there is to their population, the less rats there are. So by excluding them, making it hard for them to access food, making it hard to, for them to find harborage, you're reducing their population. And ideally, I mean, in, in a perfect world, you would get the city of Johannesburg saying, okay, we're going to deal with our rodent problems, mm. and this is how we're going to do it. So you'd look at your waste areas, your um, big landfill sites and things like that, and you would manage that. That's the kind of source. Mm. By putting up raptor perches at those places, you reduce your rodent population immediately. Because if you look at a, a landfill, and we did an experiment in, in a landfill down in the Cape, and it was there was no owl activity at the landfill at all, even though the rodent population was so high. Mm. And just because the landfill, there, was no for them to land. there were no perches. So by providing perches at those areas, you're already dealing with the, the cause or the source of your problem. Mm. And also making sewers and things like that, putting in rodent, rodent-proof mesh in certain places, you know, covering. I mean, we look at, we get called to a lot of companies where we go and have a look, they've got rodent problems, and we look at their waste stream. And often you get to the area where their pick-it-up bins are or their wheelie bins are, and the wall is up. They don't have a gate. Mm. But they put up they put a wall because it's unsightly and they don't like the look of it. But there's no gate access and by simply putting on a rodent proof gate they can reduce their rodent populations by 60 70 percent in one gate because those are those are large scale kind of uh, projects and things but what can the the homeowner do i mean i know that so many people say oh i'd love to have a compost heap but then i'm going to have rats that are going to be in my compost heap how true is that compost heaps do attract rats do they yeah but you can make your compost heap so that it's rodent proof. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's not difficult. It's um, using upside down gutters so that rats can't get in there. And, you know, the, 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 even if there is an access point for them, the smaller you make it and the more difficult you make it, you reduce your rodent population. So at the moment, it's totally porous. Mm-hmm. They can come and go as they please. They can get in there. So by reducing that, by doing a, a wall and an upside down gutter around that wall and a rat proof gate, mm-hmm. put all your compost in there. You won't have rats getting in. They'll be coming to have a look because mm. they can smell it and all of those things, but they won't have access to it. And you've sorted out that aspect of your rodent problem. And often there's simple things. You know, people have rats in their ceilings. And I've been into ceilings and, and they're just throwing boxes and boxes of rat poison into the roof. But those rats get out of that ceiling every night. They go and look for water. They go and look for food. They're using it for breeding. Mm. And they try, they've got a corridor. So they'll find a tree that touches the roof, they'll climb into that tree, they'll head down the tree to into the garden and they'll be back. You know, and by removing that branch that touches the roof, you've suddenly denied them access to the roof. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. You don't need to use rat poison, you don't need to do any you don't need to call a pest control company. You just make some changes to the way you live and the the environment. And that reduces your rodent populations. And if all else fails, they get hold of you and get hold of one of their humane traps. <laughs> Everybody should get hold of us. All of the time. About everything. About everything. About everything to do with environmental pest control, about 
yeah, all of that stuff. That's so what, what other, I mean, I know that you've got the humane uh, rat tra- traps uh, killers. Um, and those, those work very, very well. And it is actually, it's not something like the poisons where the rat eats it and as in kind of, you, you don't want to think about the rat being in pain. And I mean, you see people with mouse traps and you see this, this oh. poor little mouse with a broken back. I mean, those, that's not a very humane way of doing things. It's not ideal, especially if you're a mouse. No. <laughs> so, but the other thing about it is poison mm. is a terrible way to die. Yeah. You that's know? exactly what I'm thinking. We don't, you know, don't want to do that. Yeah. So we don't really, you know, think that, or we don't have to visualize, we don't have to witness it. Mm. But at the end of the day, I'm not even convinced that poison works. I'm getting to that point where the real poisons that were used 50 years ago were so lethal mm. and poison manufacturers have kind of been regulated out of the, the, the sort of arsenic and those kind of things that so they're using poison. And they also there's pressure on them to provide a poison that's owl friendly or, you know, dog and cat friendly. So, I mean, I have meetings with facilities managers and I'll say to them, you know, how many calls do you get into your office a day? Mm. And they'll say probably 30 emails, 10 calls. And what are those calls relating to? Someone took my parking bay, my pot plant's dead, the toilet's not working, all the things you would expect a facility manager to get. Mm. My next question is, how many poisoned rat calls do you get? How many people in this building phone you up and say, listen, there's a puffed up, anemic looking rat in the driveway. It's obviously been poisoned. You need to pick it up or sort it out. Zero. Mm. But yet they've got 122 bait boxes around their building filled with rat poison. So rats aren't eating the poison. Okay. But poison companies are out there servicing, removing, replacing poison, doing all those things. And I ask them, do you go out with your pest control company and actually watch them open that box and see what they're doing? Has mm. the poison been eating? Is there poison in there? They don't. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's, it's like muscle memory. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, apart from rats, what other um, bugs and things are you called into trying to eradicate from areas? We're doing a lot of um, bat work at the moment. In fact, Eco Solutions is the only permitted bat company in Gauteng, mm-hmm. and I actually think in South Africa. But bats are good things, aren't they? Yeah, but, the, the, you know, the problem with urban harmony mm. is that we want to encourage urban wildlife into our gardens. Often when it arrives, the consequence of it is can be a little... You know, you know, people want owls in owl boxes. Mm. So we put up owl boxes and I think at the moment we've got a hundred occupied owl boxes in Joburg, but someone walks outside and there's a rat with its head taken off in their driveway and they're not sure if they want owls anymore after that. So the actual, the, the idea is fantastic. The reality may be not as fantastic. Mm. With bats, we want bats because they're eating mosquitoes, eating a whole lot of nocturnal insects, but bats in the roof are noisy. They can um, smell. They, it's actually, you don't really want them in your roof. So we will exclude them from the roof, but provide alternatives for them. So they'll still be, yeah. So they'll still be breeding there, living there, catching insects, Mm. but they won't actually be in the roof itself. And that's the harmony that you, you, it's, is possible. Now, I know that you were saying about owls, owl boxes in the garden. How do the owls know? that there's an owl box. I mean, do they kind of fly around and maybe one sees it and says, oh, we've got our own owl box, but we know Fred down the road needs one and he's, who, who, who is living there? Do they do that? I mean, how do owls know where the owl boxes are? Okay. 
we started the Outbox project when we started. So mm. it's been running for 15, 16 years. And we did it in response to the fact that rehabilitation centers were getting a lot of chicks, owlets, handed mm. into them from the owls breeding in, in daft places. So they were getting into cups and trees and filling up with water and the chicks were drowning. Or people were picking them up. They were breeding on the ground. Dogs, lawnmowers, gardeners, kids, all of those things were mm. a problem. So essentially the owl box represents a cavity. So it, we've got, I mean, they talk about Johannesburg as a, as a forest, mm. but it's not a natural forest where your live and dead tree ratio is the same as you'd find in a normal natural mm. forest. Mm. People don't leave dead trees in their gardens. They have them removed unless they're going to fall on the neighbor's house, in which case they might leave them. But generally, <laughs> generally they have them removed. Mm. And those those dead trees are an environment for all sorts of cavity breeding birds. Mm. And as a branch breaks off and leaves a nice hole in the tree, that would be good for owls. So predominantly we've got spotted eagle owls breeding in Johannesburg. Yeah. And those boxes are, they just represent a cavity. But the, the key to success, and this is something that everybody should be aware of, is an, an owl box is only really an owl box if it has potential for mm. getting an owl in it. Otherwise, it's just a box. Mm. And you need to think a bit care or quite carefully about whether you want to just put a box in your tree or whether you want to put an owl box in your tree. They're not the same thing. Mm. So after all these years, these hundred occupied owl boxes, we've kind of, we keep all that data. We monitor what orientation they like, heights they like, um, types of box they like. And that's how we get the occupancy we do. But the critical thing is service. Mm. And people look at their box every year and they think, well, it looks okay. It doesn't have an owl. It doesn't need a service. But that's not true because essentially in that box is a pea gravel substrate because spotted eagle owls, if they could choose, would breed on the ground. And mm. if you go out to Pelonsburg or Kruger, that's where you'll find them breeding. In urban environments, they can't breed on the ground for all of those reasons. So inside that box is a gravel substrate that replicates the ground. Mm. The female makes a cup in there, she lays her eggs in there, and she keeps her chicks in that cup. To put an owl box up that doesn't have a substrate... The eggs are just going to roll out. Well, that's what you look at. You know, That's what always mm. amazes me. Someone orders an owl box and someone puts it up and they, they don't have owls and they ask us to come and have a look and we climb up the tree and there's nothing in the box. Mm. And it, it, if you put an owl on this table or an egg on this table... You can't expect a female owl to incubate it. It would roll to the bottom. It would roll to the side. So that cup is imperative. But it's just a cavity. So every year when that owl's not using the box, you've got a whole lot of other things that want to use it. You've got Egyptian geese occasionally. You've got Indian miners sometimes mm. using them. We've had bush babies in them. We've had genets in them. All of those things, well, a lot of those things will bring sticks and Indian miners will bring paper and junk and all sorts of things into their nest. Once they've covered that pea gravel, it's no longer an owl box. Yeah. So you get this accumulation of, of um, nest matter from other cavity breeding birds that prevent it from being used by owls. So that's why the service is so important. Where do owls go to if they're not using the box? They only use the box to lay their eggs and raise their young. And the rest of the time? The rest of the time they're sitting in trees. Quite, that'll be in their territory. That'll mm -hmm. be the kind of focal point of their territory. But they won't be using the box to roost in or, or any of those things. So it's mm -hmm. just for primary, it's just there for breeding and raising young. Are all owls like that? That they, they, I mean, what about barn owls? Don't they go and live in a specific barn all the time? 
They will. They'll live in a barn, mm-hmm. but they'll their nest site where they choose to nest will be used just for raising their young. Mm-hmm. So they'll perch on beams or rafters, or you know they might even perch outside in a tree. But the nest itself is a nest that's used for nesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing how there's been this like fantastic awareness of people with owls. I mean, even the local knock, knock and drop newspapers. I don't mm. know if they do it in all of them, but definitely in the Rosebank Kalani Gazette, that they talk the entire time. There's a whole column every single week dedicated so, to the Owl I'm Watch. I'm so exhausted <laughs> from writing that column, <laughs> Melanie. Every <laughs> week, Tuesday morning, the, I've got a Wednesday deadline yeah, for that article. No, no, I know how it goes. Weekly newspapers is not fun to be writing I've for. I've got people at the office who write them occasionally. Yeah. I write them when they're, you know. But it's also, it's... It's, I mean, it's been going for ages. You know, and why are people so fascinated, though? Why well, Why has it become owls a thing? Have, owls have always been fascinating. But I mean, it's become a real thing now. I want an owl box. It seems to have become like, this is my status symbol. I have to have an owl box in my no. garden. You have to have an owl box in your garden. I don't. I've got owls sitting somewhere outside my house, and I can hear them talking to each other at 2 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes I go and join the conversation because I come like that. There's been a lot of um, sort of you know, owl box information out there, like mm. the Rosebank Kalani Gazette, like for social media also is, mm. you know, putting out owl boxes. But when when this project first started, I was at um, doing consultancy work at the Johannesburg Zoo and I didn't want to do Christmas shopping. So I made a few owl boxes for friends and I gave them owl boxes. Mm. And um, one of them was occupied, one of the newspapers covered it. The next day, the Joburg Zoo had a 300 phone calls from people wanting owl boxes, and that's mm. where the owl box project, in a way, began. I actually think I was there when it's when it happened at the zoo. It I was came a long to, time ago. That was a very long yeah, time. Yeah, it was ago. a long time ago. I mean, I'm trying to think. It was like probably 10 years ago. Yeah, I came to the zoo, and you came, and you've least. actually been on the show before. But yeah, it was like such a least. long time. Owls weren't as <clears throat> popular in those days as they no, are now. No, they definitely, there's a lot of information, there's a lot of things going on. Mm. But, you know, it's, it's, I think it's fantastic, okay? But I also think that there's, with anything, there's a bit of a caveat, is that, you know, nurseries are selling owl boxes, um, there's lots of people out there installing and supplying and installing, mm. but, you know, they're not owl biologists, mm. so they don't really know what an owl box should be. There's mm. a guy at home with a piece of wood and he's making an owl box and he's selling it to someone as an owl box. But we look at these owl boxes in nurseries and bat boxes too. And we can, uh, you, just looking at them, you can see that they have absolutely no chance ever of having an owl, of in, having an owl in them or a bat in them. And, but obviously, you know, so people should, on our, on our website, there's a whole, um, drop down on frequently asked questions mm. that talks about where they should be positioned or how high they should be, what orientation they should be, all of those things. It's worth, if you're going to spend the money on an owl box, mm. to familiarize yourself with or to to become aware of what you're actually looking for um, before you just you know put up an owl box that's going to sit mm. empty for years and years and years. Do different owls like different kinds of boxes? Definitely. Barn owls like a very dark cavity mm-hmm. in which to breed. And that's one of the problems with barn owl boxes. I mean, when I started this thing, we just wanted to put up barn owl boxes because it was rodent control. Barn mm-hmm. owls are fantastic ratters. And that was the owl of choice for Johannesburg. But we got bees because the boxes, by definition, for barn owls were these dark cavities that yeah. bees just love. So you end up with a hive. We had hives. I mean, the first for, year, for well, having your own, uh, very honey. good for gardens and, and very good for, for honey yeah. and all those things. But I used to get phone calls 
you know, uh, I mean, some people would phone me up. This was 15 years ago, maybe, yeah, roundabout. Mm. And they'd phone me up and say, I love the bees, love the garden. Can I put up another owl box? Other people would phone me up and say, I'm having a kid's party here tomorrow. And unless those bees are removed, I'm calling John Robbie. I was threatened with John Robbie so many times about bees in the owl boxes. Eventually, I had to contact John Robbie. And we put an owl box in his garden mm. just to, you know, he, and he never got bees, fortunately. He never got bees in it. But, you know, that's what it is. It's a mm. cavity. So the spotted eagle owl boxes work better because they're open. And also we don't get bees like we used to. We've kind of designed bees out of the boxes. Mm. But this is one of the things about service. If we put up boxes and we come up with a design that works better, we'll imp- use that box when we service the owl box. We'll replace it with a mm. better design. Mm. And all the chicks that, that are in these boxes, we put rings on. And now we're starting to find those chicks six, seven years later. I mean, there's ring recoveries on our website mm. where you can see an owl that was ringed in a box in um, Four Ways Gardens, pitched up, I think, nine years later in Dane Fern in a box with chicks with a ring on it so we oh, knew lovely. who it was. And, and that's why, like on our Facebook page at the moment, there's just reams and reams. I'm putting the ring numbers up, so mm. I'd like to introduce you to Owlet such and such, Owlet, such and such. So all those are, are now named in a way, if 890234 is a name. But they named, and we'll bump into them later. So that Henry would be much easier. Henry, Horace, nice name for an owl. <laughs> no. Horace. When everyone, everyone comes up to me and says, what's the name of the owl? I always make up what I think is the most inappropriate name. You know? so Michael. I've had, I've had Shane. Shane was a nice name for an owl. <laughs> for any Shanes out there, I'm really sorry about that. And, and henceforth, your name shall be? <laughs> what was it again? Shirley. No, not Shirley. Shirley, you joking. <laughs> henceforth, your name will be Sharon, for that is a good name for an assistant. Uh, no, but that's not quite it. But I mean, Baldrick will probably <clears throat> be a good name for an owl. <laughs> We're not going to call an owl Baldrick. <laughs> Shame, poor little things. I mean, owls are absolutely wonderful. Um, but when it comes to bats, I mean, why do people have this fear of bats? I mean, bats do not fly into your hair. Bats are not completely full of rabies. I mean, they, I love bats. I think they're fantastic. I think that a lot of our fear comes from, and we've only had electricity for a relatively short period of time. Mm. So before that, we were fully diurnal. We'd get up with the sun, we'd go to sleep with the the, the end of the sun. Mm. Things that went bump in the night were always kind of alarming to us because we're not designed for nocturnal living. Mm. So owls calling at night were scary. Bats in the caves that we might have lived in were scary. Mm. It was just that feeling of unease with things we can't really see very well that are nocturnal. One of the things that's interesting about that is that in terms of protection of species, you know, we're protecting all these things out there, pandas and this and that, that are, that require protection. Mm. The, the emphasis is generally, it's, it's a bias that is, is, you know, there's a bias towards diurnal species. Mm. People are not Looking at the night. They're not looking at your nocturnal species. Mm. So it's, I think it's just human nature. You know, it's things that we're scared of that go bump. And also there's a lot of mythology about owls. There's a lot of mythology about bats. Mm. Never heard of a bat flying. Whenever I give a talk and someone says, well, what about them flying into your hair? I always say, well, with amazement, you know, did a bat fly into your hair? I've never heard of a bat flying into his hair. Because they've got echolocation. They're not going to fly into you. I hear it all the time. But I've never come across anyone who actually had a bat Mm. fly into their hair. Rabies, mammals carry rabies. Dogs, cats. You know, the, when, when we got a lot of people saying, what about bats and rabies? So mm. I went and I pulled the rabies figures for the last hundred years in South Africa to see all the rabies cases. 
and there weren't any bats on it. So no. there was no transmission it's from human to bat. Basically rats to dogs. But the, one of the biggest carriers of rabies, rabies is bat-eared foxes. Mm. Okay? And a lot of the transmission came from bat-eared foxes. So maybe that was just... That's where it came from. Bat. You know, so it was an abbreviation, an unfortunate mm. abbreviation. It just stuck with bat. But it's actually bat-eared foxes. And I don't know whether they fly into your hair. I've never heard of a bat-eared fox flying into anyone's hair. <laughs> but they do carry rabies. Yeah, so we stay away from those things. So now if anybody wants to get hold of you and they have heard owls in their area or they'd like to bring owls to their area, they can get hold of you? My suggestion is there are a couple of things. If you, if you have bats that you'd like to move into a bat box that mm. are in your roof, contact Eco Solutions. If you have an empty owl box, contact Eco Solutions. We can probably help. Mm. Uh, we can't guarantee occupancy, but we can definitely make that box viable for occupancy. Um, Eco Solutions is easy, ecosolutions.co.za. Mm. We've got a Facebook page, Eco Solutions Urban Ecology, and there's lots of stories on there about occupied owl boxes and all of those mm. things. And yeah, rats. If you've got rats and you want to get rid of them, that's what we do. That's as well. Yeah, so what you must definitely not do, though, if you've got rats, is to go and put rat poison up because then the rats may eat the rat poison and then the owls eat the rats, and that's not a great idea. It's time idea. to stop using rat poison. I think it's just time to stop using poison, full stop. Well, they say that rat poison is the most common way for Chinese women to murder their husbands. So I'm just putting that out there. Well, I'm, I'm glad I'm not sure. I'm too, well, actually, no, there's nobody to worry about me being a Chinese woman and <laughs> killing but, a husband. Yeah. Rat, rat poison is, is yeah, poison. We don't mm. need poison. Okay, so stay away from it. So th thank you very much. I mean, it's, it's just a wonderful thing that there's so many people who are actually out there and trying to create sustainable solutions for not just human beings, but also for all the little wild critters that we have around us. Thank Jonathan, you. Thank, thank you, you so much. And uh, you can catch us again on another episode of Grounded. Don't miss out. Above all, just get out there and enjoy the outdoor space. It's a fantastic time of year to do so. Bye-bye. For show notes and more information about this episode, go to solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash grounded. Grounded.